Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another edition of Your Financial Mission. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Janine Theus. Hey Janine, how are you doing this week? Hey Walter, I'm doing great. It is finally fall and it is beautiful out. Um, I mean, I'm, the only problem is the late sunrises, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, which makes it tough to get up. Janine and I were struggling to uh, get to the point of hitting the record button for today's show because... We're not acclimating to the uh, no sun, you know, early in the morning routine quite yet. So, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> been, been an adjustment. I'm ready for that fall back weekend. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. When does that quickly. come anyway? <laughs> yeah. I never know. It just always jumps up on you unexpectedly, doesn't yeah. it? You think it, it happens twice a year, right? We have the jump forward and the fall back. You think you'd kind of start to remember exactly what weekends that happens, but... Yeah. For some reason, it's never logged in the brain. I, I have a funny story for you before we get rolling with our uh, podcast today. Okay. Uh, speaking of colder weather, I was, uh, you know, I think I've shared some stories before of doing home renovations on the new home that we bought last year. And um, so we've been making some good progress on the inside of the home. And this past weekend, I was uh, working on the screened porch entryway. So just, you know, off of the living room, we've got a screened porch and it's just a normal kind of, you know, double door system to walk out there. And in any event, uh, the door's really nicked up. It's, you know, original, probably hasn't been painted since the house was built. So it just really needed to be refreshed. And I was painting the trim all around it. And I was also replacing the, um, what do you call it? The, uh, I don't know, the, the, the metal thing that you step on in the threshold, the door threshold. Oh, right, right. Yeah. It, it's old brass, you know, kind of ugly looking, that kind of thing. Well, I definitely bit off way more than I could chew, not from a skill standpoint, but from a time standpoint. Uh, last weekend. So I spent all day painting and I, I took the door off the hinges to kind of work on the frame a little bit easier and was painting the door out in the garage and working on cleaning the glass and, you know, getting the edges all nice, just really trying to get the details really hammered down. But anyway, the day slipped by, it got later and later and later. And it was the day where we crashed from like really nice temperatures to like really, really cold that night. Ooh. So I'm there at 10 o'clock at night trying to put this door back on the hinges, but the door is so heavy and I'm so tired at that point. I can't, like, I don't have the strength to get it up on the hinges and screw it back in. And Connie's trying to help me, but she pinched her finger and the cold air is just blasting into the house from the, <laughs> from the oh, screened-in porch. It's, so it's just like the temperature inside is just plummeting and it's and we're all freezing and like trying to get this door back on there. And then the threshold didn't fit back in place. So I eventually got the door back up there, but there's, you know, this gap underneath the door where there's usually, you know, then the threshold and the door cover and all oh, this yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have the time, energy or focus to go like, cut this you know metal to be the right fit so i can slide it into the frame so now there's just air gushing underneath the door <laughs> 
the cold weather was just you know it's like the cold weather is here boom <laughs> yeah exactly and now you're you're leaking <laughs> we're, we're, we're leaking so then i had to like try and plug up all the holes that were you know left behind so if you're going to uh take a door off the hinges make sure you try and put it back on there before night falls because oh, oh yeah you're you're, you're going to be in for uh, a world of hurt but <laughs> I figured that'd give everybody a chuckle to start today. Hopefully, you don't make the same mistake that I did. Yeah, uh, those well, things always of, those things always take longer than you think, don't they? Everything. <laughs> everything. That's the one thing I've learned about home improvement projects: everything takes three times as long as you think it's going to take. Absolutely, maybe, maybe more, depending if you run into snags or anything <laughs> like that. So, which we've done done plenty of, certainly. Uh, well, speaking of making mistakes, we're going to talk about making mistakes with your finances today, especially if it comes to investing in the stock market and handling market crashes when and uh, should they come in the future. So we're going to talk a little bit about what the next market crash might look like a little bit. It'll be part crystal ball looking in today's show, and uh, but part sound financial guidance too. And we'll kind of see if we can marry the two together with Janine Theus. We've got that, plus a really good question on the docket from one of our listeners today. This one coming to us from Charlie. And Charlie's wondering about you know moving out of a house that's already paid off. And is that kind of a, a silly thing to do? Would that be a dumb move at this point in life close to retirement? So it's a really good question, actually. One that I think you get a lot, right, Janine? Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, a lot of people kind of fall into that uh, conversation and boat. So lots to get to. But first, as you know, we always like to kick it off with what's going on in the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. So obviously there's one thing that's sort of dominating the news headlines consistently, Janine, and will continue to do so all the way through next November. Uh, We still have a long way to go, it seems, but... At what point will the impending 2020 election start to play a role in the way that investors behave? I host a show with a, uh, with a real estate agent, and it was really funny. On the show this past week, she was talking about the election next year maybe impacting the housing market. I thought that was really interesting. And if it's going to impact the housing market in any you know, particular way in an election year, I'd imagine we see the same thing when it comes to the financial world. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I do get these questions. But the fact of the matter is the last couple of elections have been somewhat instructive because the media is constantly drumming. There's a constant drumbeat about how, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. It's going to be a catastrophe, you know, and people get emotionally wrapped up in that. And so they will behave irrationally when it comes to an election. And it's already started. It actually started in 2016 before that election. And so they've already started that game now. And people, if they listen to this, are going to get so wrapped around the axle and they will make mistakes. In fact, a few weeks ago, there was some data that came out that, you know, the market did a a dip and people panicked. And so a lot of money left the market or went to bonds, which is not the best thing, you know, contrary to what a lot of people have thought in previous years. So yeah, it's already affecting investors' behavior, but the bottom line is it really shouldn't. You need to turn off the noise. Because the market's going to do what it's going to do, and you need to stick to a very disciplined plan for the long term. Because all this news is short term, short term, short term. What might affect the market down the road is going to be policies and regulations. Or if there's some catastrophic event that happens, you're going to, you might get a dip in the market, but it's not going to stay there. So if you panic and leave because somebody says, 
you know, uh, in fact, they were saying before the 2016 election, oh my gosh, the market's going to crash if Trump gets elected. And actually, that didn't happen at all. I've never seen a more perfect example that nobody knows a darn thing than than (laughs) that election night. One, the election result, of course, but from a purely a market standpoint, the just insanity that was ensuing about the economic collapse that was impending because right after the kind of election results came out, you know, markets were showing that they were going to be down. And then the very next day, this reversal and explosion, the opposite direction that then just still hasn't really stopped. Right. You know, to this day, like yeah. just no, nobody knows a darn thing. <laughs> nobody knows a darn thing. Absolutely. I mean, it's rather entertaining. I was just looking at an article, not to go off too much for ta- onto a tangent, but, you know, everybody's worried about recessions and, and the average recession is about a 10 months. But you don't know you're in it until after the fact. So all of this prediction about being the market's going to tank, we're going to be in a recession is complete BS. <laughs> To, to be apolitical or not politically correct about it, but it's just hype from the media. And if it yep. gets you to, and the whole purpose of that is to get you to panic and move in and out, because that's detrimental to you. Wall Street always makes money. So, you know, it's problematic. The house always wins, right? Yeah. Yeah. The house always wins. So you have to stick to your game. <laughs> That's a great point. And uh, so the answer to the question, it's already, you know, starting to play a role in the way that investors behave. It has been and it will continue to do so all through next year. Just keep that in mind as you want to go into panic mode, as your emotions really start to kind of grip you and take you in one direction or another. As news comes out and things happen over this next year, think long term, don't think short term. That's probably the best advice that you can give there, right, Janine? That's an, that's absolutely correct because your plan has to be for your life. And that means sticking to a disciplined, well-diversified, properly allocated portfolio in, you know, from which you can take the income you're going to need. Panicking yep. on news, which is temporary, will only hurt you. We'll uh, get further into this conversation about markets and the volatility, and then even could it be as bad as a market crash? We'll talk a little bit about that coming up later on in the podcast, but thought that'd be a good headline to get us started this week. Uh, But we'd like to introduce a new topic to the show, a new segment, I should say. It's called Did You See This?, where we find kind of the fun, bizarre, and different from across the financial world and literally we mean from across the the world and beyond beyond. in our first edition of the uh did you see this uh this was in the news a couple of weeks ago janine and i wanted to bring it up on the show with you identity fraud knows no boundaries was the uh headline in many papers and online uh, forums summer warden i believe is the pronunciation a former air force intelligence officer living in kansas uh, was married to astronaut Anne McLean. Now in the middle of a year-long divorce and parenting dispute, Warden claims her former spouse accessed her bank account, here's the catch, from space. NASA had no comment on the <laughs> domestic issue, that the intergalactic domestic issue. That's kind of an oxymoron a little yeah, bit there. Right there. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess McLean is in space and then allegedly hacks into the bank account of Warden back on Earth from the, the, like the space computer. I guess she's on the space station. Where it, so and, yeah, uh, NASA should have no comment because NASA had nothing to do with any of this. But what right. it proves is you can be hacked 
<laughs> from anywhere. <laughs> from anywhere. <laughs> Infinity well, and beyond. An <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you what, know, what are the what are the rules there? Like, aren't you in like is that like you're in international waters? Like in like, Well, that's a great question. A, I don't know, but it doesn't it it doesn't uh, protect you <laughs> in this instance. I mean, essentially, if they were, you know, married, I mean, my husband can access my accounts, I can access his accounts because we've shared passwords, etc. So, and he's, his name's on most of the accounts anyway. So it's not a big deal. And in this case, I'm assuming their accounts were not personal accounts, but even if they were, you're married to somebody who can probably access your passwords. So it's not a true hack <laughs> in that sense, I'm thinking. So yeah, um, you're in a dispute and now your, your account's been accessed, I think is a better word rather than hacked. I mean, that's what the news said, access to bank accounts. Well, okay, you were married, even if you're in this process of a divorce. I mean, uh, somebody needs to definitely come up with a movie or, uh, or or at least some sort of like, you know, what if article about the legal ramifications of, you know, getting hacked from space. Yeah. You know? Like <laughs> if aliens are, uh, are are a real thing and they come one day with they you know, they park outside of uh, the, the ozone layer. Will they, uh, you know, will they be able to hack us? And then will we try them when they come and, you know, make contact? You know, I'm just well, that's going to be uh, I'm interesting. Really, I'm really getting a little far down the line here. But. Yeah. Well, you know, if it, uh, what not Experian, uh, the other one, Equifax, who somehow lost 100 million individuals yeah. data okay did, did china get that so now we're hacking from across the ocean so that's right. certainly exactly. reasonable we could be hacked from space there you go <laughs> the, they need to make a uh, you know mars attacks or independence day type movie but instead of it being you know shoot them up kill them blow up the first contact then just turns into a legal matter where it's you know a legal debate over suing the aliens who you've just met for hacking your data that's stuff. right <laughs> <laughs> be a, a, a lawyer's dream movie. Really. Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, bottom line, it's, it's just an absurd divorce dispute. Yeah, yeah, it is. You it's know. pretty, uh, one of those things you thought would be made up if you, you like an Onion article. Yeah, right? exactly. That, uh, real life. <laughs> it seems like these days there's more and more of those articles where you go, oh, this is from The Onion, right? No, <laughs> that's that's a real headline. Yeah. So pretty funny all right well let's talk a little bit more about market crashes and about you know that volatility that we were talking about but i want to approach this from a little bit different angle you know i think the most common question you probably get from folks or one of them is you know when will the next market crash come when's it going to happen when's it going to be and some people feel like we're on the cusp of one you know like you talked about kind of the hysterical approach of a lot of folks when the news you know ebbs and flows these days up oh, here it is here it is the market crash is upon us um, others, I think, are kind of middle middle camp, middle of the road. Maybe a minor correction we're due for. And others think we're just going to keep going on the up and up trend for quite some time. And we don't really know who's right or uh, which one of those options will occur. But I want to maybe talk not so much about when the next market crash is going to happen, but what it might look like when and uh, I, I won't say if it does, because we know that it will at some point in time, but when it does. It's inevitable you're going to get asked this question in general, Janine. How do you usually respond to folks when they're asking you specifically about the timing of it all? Well, it's really difficult for anyone to time when there's going to be a market crash because nobody knows the news ahead of time. But it's an interesting, if you look back, I was talking with my brother, who's also an advisor in Oregon, about what preceded the 2008 crash. And I wish we had had a much more thorough conversation at the time back in 2007. Of course, you know, it's hindsight. But we knew, we both knew something was wrong. But we couldn't, I mean, nobody knew 
the depth of deceit that was happening on Wall Street with regard to the S&P and Moody's assessment of bonds. And so nobody knew how contaminated, if you will, all these bond markets were, and then the equities markets because of the mortgage tranches that they created with option arm mortgages. I mean, clearly the guys who did Big Short, that were in Big Short, Dr. Murray and the other guy that, that saw something happening, but it was Murray who saw it. One person, when everyone else knew there was something wrong, but they were lying about it. But they didn't know exactly how that was going to affect the market. So the point here is nobody actually knows when a crash is going to happen, per se. I mean, when the tech bubble happened, you knew something was coming if you were paying attention. But most people, I mean, I, I was reading everything and watching the news. And even then, nobody got the sense that there was going to be an absolute crash in tech. So what I tell people is you're never going to know exactly when this is going to happen. But as far as we can tell, there's no contamination of the market like there was with the mortgages in 2008. So, you know, the, the best way to protect yourself is having the proper portfolio. Mm -hmm. So so if we're, if we're talking quantity and not timing, then will the next crash be as severe as the one we saw in 2008? Are you suggesting that that data seeing as how it's not, uh, those markers aren't necessarily there, those warning signs aren't necessarily there, the contamination of the market isn't as bad. Do you expect that we'll, we'll escape unscathed or less scathed, if that's such a thing? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's really hard to tell. I don't think, you know, I, everybody's kind of keeping their ear to the ground on whether there's any, where there are any bubbles. And to everything I've seen and the people I talk with and, you know, the things I'm reading, there's no bubble. But people are a little worried because we've had the longest running bull market in history, which has been the last nine years. And so, yes, the S&P 5 has done really well these last nine years, where the previous decade, it was the total combined return was a minus nine for the S&P 5. So that was not good. But so everybody's a little worried about, you know, what, what goes up must come down. That's the sense. Well, it, three weeks ago, it did t in December, actually. There was a market dip. Last December, there was a pretty significant market dip of like 500 points. So that tends to panic people. But it's not a three or 4,000 point dip. And I don't think we're going to see that because it's not in the economic indicators. Because the economy. But even a, uh, even a correction could have big implications for somebody getting ready to retire, right? It doesn't have to be a calamitous crash. Yes. I mean, so, you know, the, they call it a correction, but it's just a market move. I mean, because for lack of better terminology, but yes, I mean, you could have a downward trend, you know, that's 500 points, a thousand points. We've been fiddling back and forth between 25.5 in the Dow and 27 for quite a while, all year, in fact, but we're still ahead of where we were three years ago. We're about 3,000 It would stand to reason, too, that there's like a, a very important distinction when you're talking about market movements between points and percentages, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Because you yes. can have a big, what seems like a big percentage drop, but hey, in context, look at how much higher we are in total points than we were back in 2008, 2009. There's a reason why the swings seem wilder. The higher the actual points go, the wilder the swings may seem from a point standpoint, but not necessarily percentages. Exactly right. I mean, you can drop 2%. You can drop 1% a day. That happens a lot, actually. When you look at it, when you pull back, I actually did a um, 
an article on this about three weeks ago called, you know, market jitters, you know, perspective is everything. And, and in that article, I say, okay, let's take the last five days. So we had five days where Friday, on that Friday, the market uh, did a pretty big dip. But then when you pull back six months this year, we're positive. If you pull back year to date, we're extremely positive. And if you pull back three years, we're three or 4,000 points ahead of where we started. So we're still ahead of the beginning of the year. But I mean, I think the S&P 5 is up uh, 16, 18%. But if your portfolio, you know, the way we allocate portfolios, the whole portfolio is not in the S&P 5. <laughs> because that is a dangerous game. Um, because if you do have a pullback, you're going to suffer that. So yes, if you're on the cusp of retirement or in retirement, you don't want a 30% drop or a 20% drop in your portfolio. So you need to be diversified. There's inevitably going to be some dips that occur over the next however many, or in fact, over the next many years, because that's what the market does. It goes up, then it goes down, and then it goes up again. <laughs> it never stays down. That's what people need to remember. Market never so why don't stays. why don't we just go to cash then, Janine? I mean, if <laughs> I, I go to my folks who are two to five years away from retirement, if depending on if dad retires at the same time as mom or not, but they're you know two or three, maybe five years away at most from retirement, and I'm going to see them after our show today. I'm I'm going down to the beach to visit them, and you know, do I go down and just say, hey guys, look, we've had a great run since 2008. You're really close to retirement now. Just put it all in cash and retire on what you got. You know, like what? I'm not saying I'm going to go do that, but like, right. what would be the argument against that? Like, hey, lock in those gains. Let's cash out before Vegas, you know, flips the tables on you and we go the other direction. Like, we've had a good run. Let's just, you know, pull the reins back. Well, I mean, and, and a lot of people have done that. I actually talked with a gentleman who came in. Uh, this was a few years ago, and of the five hundred thousand in his four hundred one k, only one hundred thousand dollars was invested. The rest was in cash. And I said, well, you do realize that you've left cash in a vehicle that when you take the money out is going to be taxed. <laughs> so that's a problem. So if you leave things in cash, there's no earning at all. And you're going to be outdone by inflation alone and then taxes. Because over time, inflation goes up. So your purchasing power goes less. So the only way to offset inflation and taxes is equities. So you need to be in the market. The question is how efficiently and effectively are you in the market? Going to cash, it's good to have cash, a cash cushion. And for some people, an emotional cash cushion is bigger than others. And that's fine. Because then maybe you can pull from that cash cushion when you have a downturn in the market. That's a smart strategy. But to completely go to cash is shooting yourself in the foot, especially if you're 70 or you're 65 or 60 and you're going to live 30 years because that's what people are doing today cash will not last you won't have that income coming in so the way to protect against this potential downturn is to have a truly diversified portfolio all the asset classes own the market get the returns of the market and then allocate stocks to bonds appropriately for the roller coaster you think you can handle because so it all comes back to having that having that proper blend it really is i mean some people will tell me i'm very generally say i'm risk averse or they oh, that's, i don't like this risk okay let's talk about risk and because the, there's various types of risk because you can take some risk without compromising your safety if you will a portfolio by the way you allocate the portfolio if someone's 
you know, sitting in cash are totally risk averse, you have to have that conversation about all the other things that can happen that will affect your ability to draw an income over time. Wow. It's an interesting conversation, that's for sure. And uh, we just all kind of feel, I think, that we need to head in one direction when in reality the right the right answer is to uh you know get that blend get that mix of these different strategies so it's not stay completely out of cash it's not get into all all cash you know and and run away from the stock market but yet so many people view it as kind of an all or nothing proposition which is too bad there's so much in behavioral science that addresses a lot of this but what people the key point people need to remember is that nothing is static the market moves. And so when you do have a downturn like that, the turnaround, you know, when you're talking about what follows a recession. So if you have a, you know, a bit of a recession, just to kind of give you an, an example, you, you might have a, 11 months in an, a recession. The average is 10 for a recession. But what follows that is 67 months on average of a great expansion. So you're talking about GDP growth that's massive after you have a bit of a recession, or like the S&P 5 return for that time frame, So you might have a recession where you only get 3% on the, or 1% even on the S&P 5, but the, what follows that is 117%, you know, for those years that follow. So there's always, when it dips, you have to remember there's a big recoil after that. That's what people need to remember. It's not gonna stay negative and there will be opportunity in that recoil. That's right. Sure. Well, let that be a good uh, lesson and good takeaway on today's show, certainly. And if you've got any questions about market crashes and about whether or not you are personally ready for any sort of downturn or the ups and downs and dips and changes of the market, uh, it takes a proper plan to be in place to be able to weather those kinds of things appropriately, especially if you're nearing retirement or even recently retired, if you've done that without a solid plan in place that addresses some of the things like we've talked about on today's show. I would say let that be a little warning, a little red flag that it'd be worth to get a review of your plan, make sure that it's well diversified and that you've got all these moving parts addressed. And this is just part of the process, obviously. We've talked to many episodes before on the show. It's not just about what's happening in the market and that mix, but also so many other considerations when it comes to your financial life as well. If you want to discuss any of those things with Janine and the team at Theus Wealth Advisors, you can do that by giving a call to 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311. And uh, you can also find us online at theuswealthadvisors.com. That's theuswealthadvisors.com. And we'll put a link in the description and the show notes of today's episode, uh, whatever app you're listening on, check there for the link. And uh, we'll link out to that blog post that you mentioned, Janine, about the what, what was the, the title of the post that you did? Oh, market jitters. Market jitters with a question the market mark. market jitters post. Yes, yes, that's the one. Market <laughs> jitters. So if you've got those and you want to read that blog post that Janine wrote to uh, get a little bit more out of this conversation as well, uh, check out the description of today's show. We'll put a link there for you to go and check out that blog post. Very good. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. And now to wrap up this week's show, we'll answer one of your questions on the mailbag. You can submit those questions online at the website. And this one comes to us from Charlie. And Charlie says, Janine, it seems counterintuitive to move out of a house that I paid off 10 years ago, but I'm retiring next month and I'm considering renting a townhome instead 
so that I don't have to worry about maintenance and repairs. Would that be a dumb move to move out of a house you've already paid off? Well, no, it depends on what your objective is, Charlie. For a lot of people, as they age, they really don't want to be bothered with um, home repairs and maintenance and yard and everything else. So if you have a house that's paid off, why wouldn't you sell it and buy a condo or buy the townhouse that you want to live in? You know, where you where all those things are taken care of by the condo association or the homeowners association. That's not a dumb move at all. It just depends on where you're moving to. So if you're moving to, you know, across town or to a different state or, you know, there are other things that affect that decision or can affect that decision. So you need to consider, you know, are, are you staying in the same location city-wise? Because, you know, all your amenities that you've been used to all this time and your habits are still there. But it's not really necessarily a dumb move, but I would probably sell the place that you have and buy the next place if that's what you're looking to do. I mean, you could sell the place that you have and you'd have a pretty big cushion for an income, you know, to provide you the rent that you might need. But there are a lot of things that kind of go into that decision that you really need to sit down and run the numbers, you know, so that you are comfortable with the change. And that would be very helpful because it might work in your favor. The question would be how much does it cost to rent and what your cash flow is at that point. Very good things to think about there for you, Charlie. And thank you for submitting that question to us on today's show. As always, if you have any questions for Janine and you want to talk about one-on-one with her, you can do that by calling 443-718-6311. Janine's got an office in uh, Columbia serving you throughout the Howard County area. 443-718-6311. And you can always find her online as well at theuswealthadvisors.com. That's theuswealthadvisors.com. Well, Janine, we appreciate the help on this week's show. Good luck adjusting to the colder weather. It's going to be like that for a little while, so, you know, quit your complaining. <laughs> At least a few more months. <laughs> <laughs> At least a few months. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, have a good one. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks so much, Walter. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot. That's Janine Theus. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for being with us today. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Your Financial Mission. Your Financial Mission.